1: y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor and fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at KillerQueensPodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Surge, your 3D Cool Ranch Doritos, and your kitten surprise, and let's get into the episode. This episode contains discussion of sexual assault, murder, suggestions of abuse within a relationship, drugs, and strangulation. Listener discretion is advised. On January 13th, 1999, 18-year-old high school senior Heyman Lee was reported missing by her family. She'd been leaving school that day, but never arrived to pick up her younger cousin from school. In the time span of less than 30 minutes, it seemed the young woman had vanished. Less than a month later, Hay's body was found in a park partially buried. She had been strangled to death. The investigation that ensued resulted in Hay's ex-boyfriend, 17-year-old Anand Syed, being convicted of her murder and sentenced to life in prison. However, after a judge recently ruled that the prosecution had failed to turn over evidence that could have altered the jury's verdict, Adnan's sentence was vacated. Shortly after, the state dropped the charges against him. Was Adnan Syed wrongly convicted? Was his counsel ineffective? Or was he truly proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt? Hey, you guys. Welcome to Killer Queens. If you've never been here before, we want to give you just a little information about how the show is set up and what it's meant to accomplish. If you have been here before, welcome back. You can just use that handy skip ahead feature here if you want to. We want to give a message to friends and family of the victims. We know that there may be someone involved in the case who might listen one day. And we want you to know that our intention is to only bring awareness to this case. And while we do use personal stories in some instances and our own humor in order to tell the story in a way that listeners can relate, we have the utmost respect for victims and their families. We created Killer Queens to be a place where we can have open discussions about cases just like you would with friends. We are not investigators. We use information that is available to the public, such as documentaries, case files, and media coverage. Using this information, we intend to tell the story of what happened in each case that we cover. Now, will you agree with our interpretations or conclusions of each case? Well, heck no. Mm Mm-mm. We each approach cases from different perspectives, life experiences, and beliefs that we already have in place. And sometimes these differences are slight, yet they can be wide enough to cause divide and upset some of those listening. We do our best to present the facts as we find them in our research, but we do bring our own perspectives to the case. We understand that you will too. We want you to know that this is a safe space to discuss differences and opinions in a civilized manner. Our style may not be your personal preference, and if that's the case, we know you'll be able to find one of the many other shows out there to tell the story the way you want to hear it. We can be grown-ups about it if you can. Now, if we are your cup of tea and you want even more KQ, you can join our Patreon and get access to our entire catalog of episodes ad-free and access to bonus episodes, too. And I'll give you just a little hint, if you're an ad skipper, um, but you still want the deals that we have from our sponsors each week, you can scroll down to the show notes and see what coupons we have available for you right down there. But you didn't hear it from us. Mm-mm, mm-mm, that's a pro tip, but I, I'll deny ever sharing it. Right. So all that being said, let's get into the story. All right. So this is part two of two. Um, we did part one last week. Um. So if you're, if this is your first episode with us crazy kids over here, then you just want to go back a week because you want to listen to part one first. Right. Yeah. But I mean, hey, we're not your real mom. We never will be. If you like going part two before part one, that's your jam. That's fine. You know, some people read the last page of a book in case they die before they finish it. That took a turn mm, I was not ready for, but sure. It took a When Harry Met Sally turn, which you should always be ready for. That's true. (laughs) So, yeah. So just want to let you know, this is part two. Don't get confused. Right. All right. So last episode, we talked about Hayes' disappearance, Hayman Lee. Um, We talked about that her body had been found in Lincoln Lincoln Park. They kind of sound the same. Um, And so now we're going to get into the, and I use this term, Lightly, investigation. Sure. Yeah. So, Hay's family was absolutely devastated to learn that she'd been murdered. And one of their close family friends said it was like the whole family died when Hay died. Mm. It's just heartbreaking. One of Hay's best friends called Adnan and told him over the phone that Hay's body had been found. He asked her if Aisha was home and asked her to call Aisha and tell her that he was coming over. Several of Hay's friends had gathered at Aisha's house and witnesses said that everyone was absolutely shocked, including Ignat. And he kept saying, it can't be her. They must have the wrong person. Finally, he called the police department and he asked to speak to the person investigating her death, but was told he'd have to call back in the morning. Friends said that he was an emotional mess. Detective Massey, who was the secondary detective on the case, said that within the 72 window hour, no, how many windows were there there were 72 in one hour yes okay wow wow so you have there's different there's different types of hours and it just depends on how many windows it is and this one was a 72 window hour okay (laughs) the standard is 60 just saying um yeah the 72 hour window after the body had been found they didn't have any particular person of interest they were also still looking for Hay's 1998 Nissan Sentra. On February 12th, around 3 p.m., three days after Hay's body was found, Detective Massey received an anonymous call from what he described as a, quote, Asian male between the ages of 18 to 21. The caller advised Massey that he and the other investigators should focus on the victim's boyfriend, Adnan Syed. The caller told him that Adnan had taken Hay to Lincoln Park before to have sex. He said that Hay had broken off their relationship about a week before she went missing. He then hung up. So Massey dialed star 57, which is, I don't know, I guess to call the person back or get the number of the person who called. Um, But he got a recording that said that service was not available in this caller's area. So we don't know who the caller was. But just a few minutes later, this person called again. And he said that he recalled once that Adnan told a friend that if he ever hurt his girlfriend, he would drive her car into a lake. He then hung up and he never called again and it is still not known who this caller was. Wow. Um, And her car's not found in a lake, so... Anyway. On February 26th, Detective McGillivary with the Baltimore City Police Department, who was now the lead investigator in the case with his secondary, Detective Ritz, they go to Anon's home to interview him. That sounds like Detective Ritz and McGillivary sounds like Star, what is it? Star and Hutch? Starsky, Starsky and, Hutch. and Hutch. Yeah, like it just sounds like a bad detective movie or something. Like <laughs> Ritz and McGillivary. Reporting oh. for duty, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, Adnan's father sat with him while the police asked him about his relationship with Hay, and he told him that they had dated, but he didn't want his father to know. And Nan told them that he'd been in Hayes' car several times, not on the day that she disappeared, though. And he had a difficult time recalling his exact movements on that day. Um, And now, remember, this is February 26th. This is six weeks later. Yeah. Like, you know, I can't really tell you what I did Monday. And today's Thursday. (sighs) Which I thought was Wednesday until Beth told me today was Thursday. So, right. And... Every day typically is just an ordinary day until it's not, you know? Like, you can look back on, oh my gosh, I remember getting the news that Hay has been murdered. Okay, maybe you can remember exactly what you were doing when that happened, but on any given normal day where you don't think much of it, you're not going to remember every detail of it because it's not not a crazy, memorable day typically. Right, and a lot of people are like, well, the police included— are like, well, don't you think that's weird though? Because wouldn't he remember what he was doing on the day that his ex-girlfriend disappeared? Somebody that he's supposed to really care about and be friends with. But when she disappeared, I'm not, nobody knew she had disappeared yet, except for her family. So, because remember, it was after school. And then the next two days, school was closed. And then you had the weekend. And then Monday's a holiday. So, and then Tuesday, he wasn't at school that day either. So he wouldn't have seen Hay that day either. So it's a full seven days before he would get to school and realize that she's not there. Right. That's going to be the eighth day. So at the time that she disappeared, at the time that she went missing, when she didn't show up to pick up her cousin and she didn't show up to work and she didn't come back home that night, those were still ordinary days and activities for him. And it wasn't until a week later that he realized anything had happened. That would be the same thing as somebody asking me and you. I remember what I was doing when 9-11 happened. Like the moment that, you know, the the planes hit and everything. Yeah, same. But I can't tell you what I was doing in the week leading up to that when you know these attacks were possibly being planned or whatever. You know, it's like I can't even I tell you know. what I was doing 30 minutes before it was. Exactly. Saw the news. Yeah. So when these people were getting on the airplane or whatever, like I don't know what I was doing at that time. I mean, I assume I was in school because I was in school when it happened. But like, you know, like it's like asking somebody, well, what happened before the thing that you remember? Like, like a week's worth of things that you remember or things that you did. Like, it just doesn't. I I don't think that that's suspicious. I don't either. I would think. Honestly, it might be a little bit more suspicious for somebody to recall every detail because the only people that are going to remember that day that she disappeared as being a memorable and important day are, like you said, her family and the person who abducted and murdered her. So those are big days for certain people. So or that's a big day for certain people. So couldn't that lend itself to maybe, okay, we need to look into this guy because he remembers everything about that day. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's um, it's just definitely not something that stuck out to me as like... Whoa, suspicious. Okay. And I mean, he's a teenage boy too. Like, I assume this is never going to get any better with my kids, but I'll be like, hey, how was your day? Fine. What'd you have for lunch today? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What'd you get? Did you guys uh, do this? What'd you learn at school? I don't remember. Was this person that, I don't remember. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, for the most part, I'm sure they just don't want to, they just like, I don't care to talk about that. But, (laughs) you know, there's just a lot that kids just don't fucking pay attention to because they're kids. And and these are still kids. They're 16, 17 years old. They're kids. Dude, there's a lot that I don't pay attention to. And I'm damn near 35. Like, (laughs) exactly.
0: A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.
1: So, investigators end up getting a subpoena for Adnan's phone records. On February 28th, early in the morning hours, Adnan was woken up by police officers they informed him that he was being arrested as they put handcuffs on him and let him out of his house. Anand was terrified and later described it as, quote, there's a flood outside your house. Before you can even come to terms with that, there's a fire inside your house. You don't really have time to come to terms with anything. You're just trying to survive. When Anand arrived at Central Booking, he was told that he was being charged with first degree murder of Haman Lee. Both detectives, McGillivary and Ritz, mentioned that they'd spoken to Adnan's friend. You said his name Jay wrong. Wilds. what I say? Well, maybe not wrong, but you you said it, Adnan's friend. Mm. The wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Maybe you're just they'd trying to mention put that emphasis on the fact that it's his friend. Yeah, Adnan's friend, Jay Wilds. Okay. I wanted to get you because I've been mispronouncing it for a while now because we're from Tennessee and I can't help myself, but I'm really trying hard not to mispronounce it. I know how to pronounce his name, but everything in me wants to like put the southern twang Hundred on it and I just it. can't. Yeah, yeah I, I just, it's not, that's not fair. Okay. Okay. So investigators said that after they'd received the anonymous phone call that advised them to look further into Anon, they subpoenaed his phone records and they tracked the recent calls and found that on the day he disappeared, there were several calls to a specific number. This number belonged to Jennifer Pusateri. I hope I'm saying her name right as well. So Jen wasn't really friends with Anon, but she knew him through one of her good friends, Jay Wilds. Jay and Jen hung out often. They smoked weed together and they were both a year older than Adnan and Hay. They interviewed Jen who gave them very little information about Hay or Adnan and she answered a lot of like, I don't knows when asked the questions. After speaking with police, Jen got a lawyer who scheduled another interview with police for the following day. And on February 27th, which was the day before Adnan got arrested um, or was arrested, Jen went to the police department and spoke with Detective McGillivary. During the interview, Jen told him that on the day that Hay disappeared, Jay was over at her house. He'd driven there in Adnan's Honda Accord and also had Adnan's cell phone with him. She was under the impression that he'd given his phone to Jay so Adnan could contact him later that day. That's strange, I think, um, because, I mean, I know cell phones weren't then what they are now, but a lot of people wouldn't part with their phone for 30 minutes, you know? (laughs) Like, A lot of people don't want to be... I I can't see myself being like, hey, just take my phone and go do stuff. Like, no, I need my phone. Yeah, right, yeah. But again, I mean, this is... I guess if he's planning on Jay coming back to pick him up, then he needs to be able to, yeah. Get in contact with him, I guess. I don't know. I just found it to be odd, but that, again, could be because I view cell phones differently now because of the way that it is for me now, so. But... Anyway. so during the afternoon, Jay got a call from Anon and left Jennifer. Jen- I want to say Jennifer, but Jen's house around three thirty to three forty-five p.m. Later that night, Jay called Jen and asked her to meet him at Westview Mall. She drove there to meet him and found him and Anand in the parking lot in Anand's car. Jay got into Jen's car and reportedly told her that Anand killed Hay after school and then put her body in the trunk of her Nissan Sentra. Adnan had called Jay and asked him to meet him at the 600 block of Franklintown Road. When he met Adnan, Jay said that Adnan opened the trunk of Hay's car, which he was driving, and showed him Hay's dead body. Jay told Jin that he then followed Adnan to the 4400 block of North Franklintown Road, where Adnan removed Hay's body and buried it in a shallow grave in Lincoln Park. Jay said that he'd followed Adnan to several other locations before Adnan finally parked his car in an alley in southwest Baltimore. Jen said that on the 14th of February, or 14th of January, excuse me, she picked up Jay from his house and drove him to a drugstore where he disposed of his clothing in a back dumpster. Investigators said that this is what led them to Jay Wilde. They said afterwards they went to find Jay at his place of employment and brought him to the station to interview him. And I think that it's important to note. Jay's going to change his story a whole, 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 whole bunch of times. Now, we're going to give you some of the most important parts of that. It would take forever to give all of the details of these um, interviews or testimonies here, but so Jay was picked up around 11 p.m. on the night of the 27th, but the taping of the interview did not start until about 1.30 a.m., and there's a lot of speculation as to what happened during that time. Yeah. Why, 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 why are we not, we have the capability of taping it. Why are we not taping the whole thing? No idea. I mean, there's absolutely no reason as far as I can tell why that has not happened, but Jay denied having an attorney present at the time. And here's what Jay stated during his interview. Jay said that on the night before Hay disappeared, he and Anand made plans to go to the mall the next day. On January 13th, Anand picked up Jay from his house around noon in his Honda Accord, and the two went to Westview Mall. After shopping for a short time, Adnan asked if Jay could just drop him off at school, take his car, and then pick him back up. Jay specifically said that Adnan didn't tell him where he wanted him to pick him up, and Adnan had left his cell phone in the glove box, likely because cell phones weren't allowed in school. Detective Ritz asked Jay if Adnan said anything about what he was going to do that day, and Jay responded with, quote, "Um, He tells me he's going to kill Hay. I didn't believe him. I mean... He said that Adnan was talking about how he couldn't believe that Hay broke his heart. And when detectives asked Jay to recall Adnan's exact words, he said, quote, I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill that bitch. He dropped Adnan off around at school around 1230 p.m. Jay said that he went to his friend Mark Pusateri's home. And Mark is 15 or was 15 at the time and is Jen's brother. And they lived at the same house. And he said that the three of them played video games. Jay said that Anand called him around 3.40 p.m. and asked him to pick him up from a strip at Edmondson Avenue in the city. And he said that he got out of the car and Anand popped the trunk of Hay's car, which he was driving. Jay said that Hay's body was in the trunk and Anand reported saying, quote, I did it, I did it. You don't fucking believe me, I did it. It didn't happen. I, it, that did not happen. <laughs> I'm just going to go on the record to say it just it just simply did not happen, but it bear with happen. us, so... It didn't happen. Jay then agreed to follow Adnan in his car while Adnan drove Hay's car to a park and ride lot on Route 70. And he said that anon left Hay's car, got into his own car with Jay. The two then went and smoked a blunt for about 30 minutes before taking Adnan back to school around 4.30 p.m. And we know this is, this was when Adnan was supposed to attend track practice, by the way. So mm. just, you know. So Jay said that anon called him around 6.45 p.m. to pick him up Uh, back at school, and the two went to eat, and an officer called Anand on his cell phone. Anand told him that the officer told him that they were looking for Hay, and Jay said that after the phone call, Anand became frantic. The two drove to Jay's house, where he said he got a shovel and a pick. He said that Anand told him to take him back to the park and ride. Jay followed Anand in his car while Anand drove Hay's car, and then they got to Leakin Park, and Anand told him to park up ahead, and he'd be there soon. After about 10 or 15 minutes, Anon walked over and told Jay that the body was heavy and that he needed to bury her, and then he vomited. At this time, both cars were supposedly pulled off the road and they started back in the woods or started to walk back in the woods to where Anon had put Hay's body. Anon asked Jay to start digging a hole sev- or digging several times until he finally started helping. Anon threw up, then put Hay's body in the hole, and Jay described the scene. The crime scene, the positioning of Hay's body and her clothing correctly. He even said that she wasn't wearing shoes. Jay denied having touched Hay's body or helping Anand put her in the approximately one-foot hole he dug. He, uh, later in the interview, denied having helped Anand dig the hole. After burying the body, Jay said that he continued following Anand who was still driving Hay's car. He said that he was looking for a place to leave the car, and he said that Anand parked it off a small side street first. But then decided to leave it somewhere else. Day described it as, quote, in the back of a bunch of row homes on like a parking lot. And this is on the west side of Baltimore City. He said that Anand got a bunch of stuff out of Hayes Car, including her person or wallet, and he got into his own vehicle with Jay driving. Jay said that Anand told him to stop at the Westview Mall and he dumped all of the stuff he took from Hayes Car into a dumpster. Jay told detectives that when he went back to where Adnan had left Hay's car to see if it was still there, and he said that the last time he went there to check on the car being there was February 24th. He also said that he put his clothing in the trash at his house on the night that Adnan buried Hay, and Jay said that Adnan and him had been in contact approximately 12 times since January 13th, and that Adnan joked about the situation, but he would also express regret and remorse. Jay said that Adnan also, quote, made references to the fact that he could get at his girlfriend. And at the time, Jay was one of Adnan's really good friends named Stephanie. Jay uh, said that Adnan. Yeah. Adnan and Stephanie are, are really good friends. And they went shopping that day because Jay forgot her birthday. It was his girlfriend. And hadn't bought yeah. her anything. And Adnan was like, dude, you need to go buy your girlfriend a present. And I've read and heard that that's why Anand let him borrow his car. Like, take my car. I have track practice anyway. Go get your not girlfriend not a birthday it. gift. Go get her a birthday gift and you can come back and pick me up after. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jay said that Anand told him that he had strangled Hay and that he thought she was trying to say something as he did it. He also said that Hay had broken the windshield wiper handle in the car during the struggle he denied knowing where the car was parked when this took place. And he said that he told Jen about what had happened on the 13th in case he was arrested and someone would know what really happened that night. He also said that he thought he may have told his friend Chris, but nobody else. And that Anand may have told one of his friends. He's like, no, I I mean, I definitely for sure told Jen. Um, nobody else. Did. Well, I might have told this guy Chris. But I mean, other than that, my lips are sealed. I haven't told anything. Exactly. Funny. For sure. Exactly. And isn't it funny how Jen's version of the events that supposedly Jay told her don't match at all what Jay's story is morphing into as the words keep coming out. It's like starts here. Then yeah. it's this. Then it's this. And then something over here. Right. And like the way that Jay, like if you listen to the recordings, um, of Jay's interviews, it's very like he will say something, and then the are you sure? like I mean, it's they definitely lead him and feed him information. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, you can you can pick up if somebody if you're trying to say something that you want the other person to either agree with or find it right or whatever, and somebody starts being like, "Really? Are you sure that happened that way? Well, that tells you, okay, I got to change tactics here because that's not right. Let's go with this one. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it just, it. one of the um, attorneys, I believe it was maybe Susan Simpson on the Undisclosed podcast. Um, she said that the way that she described Jay's interrogation or interviews or whatever is he very much will act like an actor who has forgotten his line, and he'll yes. kind of like sit there and then they will remind him and then he'll be like, Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like We're they're going about him it a little bit later, too. Yeah. hmm Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's, yeah. After this interview, police obtained a, an arrest warrant for Adnan and went to apprehend him at his home. And initial or additionally, Jay led them to where he said that Adnan had left Hayes car in the night, uh that night that it happened. And in the In a grass lot in West Baltimore sat Hay's car parked near a row of small houses. Police took photos of the vehicle, inventoried its contents, and then had it towed. All right. So pretty soon after Adnan's arrest, one of his and Hay's classmates, Asia McLean, realized that she might know something that could help Adnan's case. So she recalled she had seen Adnan on the day that Hay disappeared. She'd seen him after school in the library on campus She didn't think it was too important since it had only been for a short period of time, about 15 to 20 minutes, up until about 2.40 p.m. So Asia said she had talked to Adnan about Hay, about how they'd broken up, and Adnan said that Hay had started to date some, quote, white dude. Asia said that Adnan seemed to shrug it off, and he just, he said he just wanted Hay to be happy. Asia remembered that it was that particular day because she looked at her planner and remembered that it was right before that they had had the two days off for the ice storm. The boy she'd been dating at the time convinced her to notify Adnan's family. And so she goes over to the Syed house where she said there were several relatives and friends. And she felt like they didn't seem to think it was very important because it was such a short time period. It was only 15 to 20 minutes. so she decided to write Inan a letter in jail. And she mentioned that he was on the computer at the library when they spoke. And after receiving Asia's letters, Anand Ad- gave his new attorney, Christina Gutierrez, the letters as well as the information to access his email in hopes that they could track like whether he was checking his email at that specific time and maybe get the IP address of where that was and place him at the school during that time. There is no evidence that his email information was ever checked. Um, when Adnan asked Gutierrez about using Asia to confirm an alibi, she told him that she'd checked with Asia, but that the dates were wrong, which she did not do. Um, but she said she did. Nothing else was said about it until years later. So this would have placed Adnan in the library until about 2.40 p.m. And he said that after that, he went to get ready for track practice, which had started at 3.30 p.m. that day. It's just so, this time, this is a very, very tight timeline. And these little pockets of even three to four minutes are so crucial to this timeline. Like, you know, we're not working with like, she disappeared and was killed within this two day span. I mean, we're, you know, we've got a tight thing. But Asia's not the only person who places Adnan on Woodlawn's campus that day. So, and during the time that Hay was likely being murdered. His track coach, Coach Sai, said that he recalled having a conversation with Adan on a warm January day with temperatures in the 50s, and this is nearing the end of Ramadan. So Sai says this particular day stood out to him because the track team didn't get, didn't get to practice outside very often. It would have had to have been above a certain temperature for them to be able to do this, and this is fucking Baltimore. They had a snowstorm the next day. So, you know, um, but... On this day, the weather was nice enough for them to be able to practice outside. So he remembered that that day he had asked Adnan about Ramadan and fasting specifically because he would not let Adnan do the full workout that everybody else was doing because he was fasting. Adnan took Ramadan very, very seriously. He followed all of the... what would you call it the, like he followed the practice like he did what he was supposed to do according to this it was very important to him um and the coach knowing that he was fasting did not want him to do the same activities that everybody else was doing who had you know had full meals and everything that day right um so he had a just doing shorter jogs around the track he said that adnan was there on time that day and left on time according to jay His testimony is that Adnan was an hour late. He was an hour and a half late. Like, I've never played a sport, but I know if you're that late to a practice, your coach is going to give you absolute hell and probably will give your team hell for it. Like, Andrew played lacrosse in college and they would have like five or 5.30 a.m. practices during the week just because of, like, schedules and all kinds of stuff or whatever. And he was like, you know, it didn't matter if we were out drinking the night before or whatever. If any of us were late, all of us had to do laps until we threw up. So we didn't fuck with that. (laughs) Like, you know, you're not going to do that. So it's... I just don't see a coach being like, oh, he was, like, an hour late, but it wasn't a big deal. Like... Well, and also, let's just say, Sai is giving a lot of detail about what happened that particular day. Don't you think if he was that late, that would be one of the details that he'd be like, yeah, I remember that day he was about an hour and a half late, hour and 45 minutes late. Um, you know, he that would have been part of the testimony, but it's not. Right. Yeah. And he... Coach, Cy has an anchor for this day. His anchor, that's really important with eyewitness testimony. You need, I can't just come up to you and say, "Um, January 13th, Tori, tell me about it. Like, you're not going to recall that specific day unless you have an anchor. January 13th is actually a day that I got in a car accident, so I remember it very well. Like, you need something that solidifies that date in your mind. Yeah, for Coach Sai, it's oh my gosh, I remember that day. It was actually one of the warmest days that we could actually practice outside. Yep, in January in Baltimore. Yep, Mm -hmm. and it was towards the end of Ramadan because Adnan was still fasting. We taught, we had a conversation about that, but I remember having this conversation with him outside. He wasn't late that day. I know that because I remember this day. Um, so he also remembered, um, he remembered that Adnan had been at track practice that day for like these reasons, but also because, um, Adnan was, uh, telling him that he was leading prayers at the mosque the next day. And you can go back To the records, and Anand did lead prayers at the mosque the next day. So, again, these are all things that place this conversation happening on that date, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Coach Sai did not recall the specific date. He didn't say this happened on exactly blah, 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 but he's like, all these things happen on the same day. But other things indicated it could have only been the 13th. So, in the undisclosed podcast, it's reported, quote, during the last two weeks of Ramadan, there were only two days in which the temperatures went above forty degrees. January twelfth, January thirteenth. There was no track practice on the twelfth because they had um, a track meet that day. So it can't be there because Coach Sai couldn't have remembered and not doing shorter jogs that day because it was a meet. He would have right. had to, you know, do the whole thing or whatever. Um, do all of the runnings. Yes, all of the running. So it would have had to have been the 13th. Um, Coach Sai was definitely there. Adnan was definitely there. It, it just all places it right there. Right. At Adnan's trial, Coach Sai testified, but was pretty much only asked if he took written rec- records of attendance, which he did not. But they don't ask him all this other stuff. That is that anchor that you need. And like, it just, I don't know. Um, another friend interviewed by police was Debbie Warren. She had recalled seeing Adnan on the 13th while he had his gym bag. She said this is about 2.45 p.m. He was talking about going to track practice, which directly contradicts the state's timeline. <sighs> but they're really written talking to her, huh? <laughs> yeah. Don't you think? <laughs> Okay, we didn't know you were going to say that. Um, yeah. So let's pretend ooh, like this happen. Yeah. In December of 99, Adnan went on trial against the state of Maryland for the murder of Heyman Lee. Not too far into the trial, the judge declared a mistrial as the jury had heard the judge call Adnan's attorney, Christina Gutierrez, a liar. Okay, I'm sorry. If you as the judge are looking at this attorney who has somebody's life in her hands, And you're like, you are a liar. Don't we need to, like, don't we need to protect the defendant's rights and be like, I think there's something going on in this case, and she's already exhibiting inappropriate behavior? Let's get her off of this and find a new attorney. She's not going to provide a proper defense. Absolutely not. His second trial began shortly after, and the state's case called, or the state's against... (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. the state's case <laughs> against Adnan relied heavily on Jay's testimony. But here's the thing about Jay. His story has changed 11 million times. It changed between police interviews and it changed between testimonies and in between trials. And he even admitted to lying about certain things or giving different information. But here are just a few things that changed with Jay's story. So one of them is where Adnan killed Hay. Then where Adnan popped the trunk to show Jay Hay's body The exact movements and timeline of the day that Hay was murdered, whether he helped with the burial or not, and the time that the burial took place. It's not all of them, but it's some. Mm -hmm. And those are like kind of big details. I think so. Like there are times when he describes the time of day that they buried Hay was still daylight or it was dark. Those are big differences. Which was it? Was it daytime or was it dark? When you buried a body, Mm -hmm. where were you when he popped the trunk and showed you a dead body that you weren't expecting to see? You know where you were when that happened. Yes. These things are not so commonplace for most people that they're like, eh, you've seen one dead body, you've seen them all. I mean, it's not like it, it sticks out in my mind, really. Like, No. No. No, I mean, those, yeah, those are things that are going to be absolutely like you're going to remember everything about that moment if this actually happened. And again, you don't, you're not going to struggle and change details as much when you're telling the truth. There's no need to try to remember what you said before. Right. Because what you said before was the truth. So when you can't remember how you told it the first time, because the, how you told it the first time, the cops weren't happy with, and so now you've got to tell it a second time, and now you're confused, because you now you've told it a third time, and you're confused, and you're like, which one did they want me to say? They did want me to say it was here, or they didn't want me to say it was here. They do want me to make it daytime, or they don't want me to make it daytime, Like because whatever he is saying initially, they're like, nope, not right. Try again. Nope, not right. Try again. Right. So, I mean, obviously, understandably, things change, especially as time goes on. And there are actually several witnesses whose answers changed from when they first spoke to police to when they testified at trial, mostly to I don't knows. But Jay, as the state's main witness, his story had a ton of changes. And while the main point of his story, which is that Anand strangled Kay and then buried her body in Lincoln Park, never changed, but so many other things did so much. Another important point to note is that it has been brought up many times by those who believe non is innocent is the belief that the police coached Jay, and that's why his story changed so much. And this is specifically after they found Hay's body and had more specifics about what happened to her. And this is what, I mean, Torella was talking about with Susan Simpson. Oh, yeah, it was. He, even, yeah. yeah, he, he's somebody who, seems like he's being coached. And she said, here's the direct quote. Jay does that a lot, by the way. The thing where he sounds like an actor who's forgotten the next line. Luckily, the detectives are always willing to help him out. They give him time to think about it. They give him hints, suggestions, reminders. Their influence can likely be seen in the fact that by the time of the second interview, Jay's story about when track ended moved closer to the truth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I mean, even with like him saying what time he dropped non off at track practice, Mm -hmm. Practice was supposed to have started around 3.30 that day, right? But at one point, he says he doesn't drop him off till like 5.40. Like till it's almost over or five or, you know, whatever. Like, again, we're talking about an hour and a half, two hours into practice. Yeah. And it just backs up and backs up and backs up. Like, (sighs) it's not true. (laughs) Jay admitted that the detectives showed him and Non's phone records and that that altered his answers to things, and when Jay seemed to forget what he was saying on taped interviews, you can sometimes hear knocks or what sounds like paper being pushed across the table. Jay will then answer after apologizing for forgetting the answer, and of course, there's that big chunk of time that we don't even have because they didn't record it until hours and hours and hours later. The second piece of evidence that the state hinged their case on, against and not on, was the cell phone data? So Kevin Yurick, the prosecutor, argued that where a non-cell phone pinged that day placed him in all of the right places to match Jay's altered story, specifically with two calls that pinged at Lincoln Park that night. And a cell phone expert even, even testified about this data at the trial that the information was incriminating. But after the trial, those. <laughs> After the trial, those investigating the case that believed that Anon was wrongfully or wrongly convicted noticed something strange about the cell phone data. So there was a cover sheet on the faxed phone data that read, "How to read subscriber activity reports with the text." quote <laughs> with the text, quote, "Outgoing calls are o- only are reliable for location status. Incoming calls will not be considered reliable information for location." Outgoing this was yes, on the incoming cover sheet. Yeah. Now listen to what this the fuck NA-E- happened. And it says, this is how you read this report. Yeah. Read no, before reading. Yes. So listen to this though. Both of the calls, placing it on at Lincoln Park, were incoming, which means that they do not lend itself to the location. You can't use those. The expert who testified at the trial regarding these calls was contacted and it was found out that he was never shown the cover sheet with the information about incoming calls. And he later contacted Anand's new lawyer to sign an affidavit for his his appeal saying that if he'd been aware of the disclaimer, it would have affected his testimony. Okay, excuse me. Why is he the cell phone expert if he doesn't know this information? Shouldn't an expert know that outgoing are the ones incoming yeah like maybe 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 that's specific to each carrier or something like that, but if you're a cell phone data expert, wouldn't you at least know that like, hey, sometimes or some carriers, only some of ingoing or outcoming or in, in mm, outgoing uh-huh. or incoming, yeah, yeah, are reliable. like wouldn't you know to verify that kind of information? I don't know, expert testimony really burns your bucket, doesn't it? It really does now. Yeah, because I've, I've, I know too much now. Like, uh, so we're just, he gets up on the thing and he's, I mean, he's no more an expert in this case than you or I reading the report, you know, because it's right. all he did and he took it for its word. Anybody can do that instead of being like, well, this is what the report says, but because I'm an expert, I know how to read this report. And this is the information that it is actually conveying. Now, I mean, of course, what you're saying is completely true. I do think that you're getting a little heated, and I wish that you would calm the fuck down. Can't do it, won't do it. Like, but the bigger issue was, for me is the prosecution didn't show him that cover letter. Somebody did not show him that cover letter. Whether or not he knew some, about it or whatever. Somebody saw it. Yeah. Yes, it was like, facts together. It was in a, a packet that they, it wasn't like the, Um, Cell phone carrier was like, whoops, forgot to fax Mm -hmm. the cover letter. They faxed it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they somebody chose to show him pages two through whatever, not page one through whatever. That was yeah withholding evidence that could have one hundred percent changed the verdict. Absolutely, and it was again, it was Susan Simpson that found that cover sheet years later. And she, when she found it, she was like, I can't be the first person to realize this, right? Like, it, it's pro- it has to be not relevant because somebody else has seen this, right? It's the cover sheet. Right. And when she brought it up, I think, to Rabia or whoever, they were like, what? Like, you know, she was shocked that, like, how could nobody have seen this? How right. could nobody I mean, have read this? That's massive to this case. And okay, so essentially the state's timeline that was that Anon and Hay were in the parking lot of Best Buy very shortly after school and that Anon had strangled her by 2.36 p.m. And they used this specific time because there was a supposed phone call from a payphone outside of Best Buy made to Jay on Anon's cell phone at 2.36. And investigators referred to this as the, quote, come and get me call. They said that this is after Anon murdered Hay and wanted Jay to pick him up. But, The timing is contradicting or is contradicted by several of Jay's stories about when Adnan called him to pick him up, as well as Jen's story of when Jay left her home that day. And in addition, Asia, Debbie, and Coach Sai's testimonies also directly contradicted the state's story. They alleged that Adnan murdered Hay out of jealousy because she was dating someone else. On February 25th, a jury found Adnan guilty of first-degree murder of Hay Min Lee and he was sentenced to life in pl- in prison, life in prison plus thirty years. Robbie Ashadri, the older sister of Adnan's best friend, is a lawyer, and she began lobbying hard for Adnan's innocence and investigating into the case her on her own. She contacted a journalist who covered the original case in Baltimore, Sarah Koenig. and Koenig ended up producing the podcast that we have been talking about called Serial, which is about the story of Hay Hay's murder and Adnan's conviction. And though Rabia and Anand's friends and family didn't always agree with Koenig on the content presented in the episodes, they understood that Koenig was telling the story from a journalist's point of view. But in a shocking turn of events, Serial exploded into the media and amassed a huge amount of listeners. And this is really what brought attention to the case and to what many believed was a wrongful conviction. Since then, there have been several other podcasts released about the case, and Anand's name has become even more well-known. Despite the recognition that the media has given to the case, there is still so much that is unknown or not understood. Due to the significant amount of information in this case, it's impossible to address everything in a short amount of time. Like, just understand that. We know that. it's. There's so much more to bring to the table. But we could sit here for how many window hours? 142 window hours, I think. At least. Yeah. We could do it, but we kind of, we have to just give, like we said, the bird's eye view of the case. But there are some major points that are brought up on podcast, Reddit, Facebook pages, and other sources that are questionable and either placed doubt on Anand's guilt or point towards him having murdered Hay. And one of them is Don. Don was Hay's current boyfriend and was not really investigated that much. During his initial call with police after Hay was reported missing, he didn't mention that he had been working that evening, nor did he mention that Hay and he had plans to hang out after she got off work, and several of her friends said that she'd mentioned that that day. He later told police that he'd been working at Lins Crafter's in Hunt Valley, which was a different store location than the one that he usually worked. A detective spoke to an employee from the Owings Mills Mall, where Don usually worked, and he said that he worked at the Hunt Valley store that day, but nothing further was asked. Anand's attorney subpoenaed Don's employment records later that year, which showed that he did not work on July 13th. However, Yurick, the prosecutor... Oh, what did I say? July. What am I doing? That he did not work on January 13th. Excuse me. So, But Yurick, who was the prosecutor had a phone conversation with Lynn Crafter's legal department who reportedly found another timekeeping record that showed Don did work that day and they also notified that the GM who would have been who would have made the timekeeping record that day was Don's mama uh-oh yeah also Debbie Hayes friend contacted Don after Hay's disappearance by email, and she suspected that he might have known where Hay Hay was. Don gave Debbie his phone number, after which the two had a seven-hour phone conversation. Debbie told Don that she would be spending spring break with her sister on a nearby college campus, and Don asked to come visit her. And when he did, Debbie said that he clearly expressed romantic interest in her. And she admitted, admittedly went along with it for some time before reportedly making it clear that she was not interested in that. When a detective was asked why Don didn't get equal attention in the investigation, he replied, quote, he didn't have any phone calls come in about him. And this is referring to the anonymous phone calls that had non. Are we to believe then that police only investigate people who... They receive a phone call tip about just evidence or any actual, you know, any police work that's going to lead to or what like you're supposed to work the case and work everybody that, you know, from the inside out. Don's on the inside. You need to investigate him whether or not he has a phone call about him. Right. You should investigate Don whether or not he has a phone call about him. That's fine. But the thing is, though, Charlotte, and I feel like you're missing the point. It, it happens all the time. I don't know how you can be this stupid. Nobody said Don did it. His Nobody said tight. that. What His are they are supposed tight. to do? What's he supposed to do? Yeah, I don't know. I I don't like the seven-hour phone conversation. I don't like that. Just in general, you can be a douchebag um, and not be a murderer. I completely understand that. Um, and there's a lot to that whole time card that day. It was supposedly, like, looked like it had been written forged. in and stamped in. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff with that. Uh, well, and the fact that, that it was his mom that was like, I can verify this. Like, yeah, the only verification that we have is his mom said so. Yes. It's just and very, very, like, very weird. Yeah, that's, You know, sometimes a parent is going to be your alibi. I mean, I, you know, I do understand that, but there, I don't know. There's just a lot with that. And to just be like, okay, fine. Yeah. Like you didn't stop at okay, fine with Adnan, Mm -mm. you know, and you shouldn't. So why are we not investigating everybody? It just, yes, Absolutely. Also, we've got Jay. There were clearly many inconsistencies with Jay's story, but his treatment by the police seemed to be very very telling. He referred to himself as, quote, the criminal element of Woodlawn. He was a known drug dealer, though some say that he was involved in more serious illegal activity. He even used this as his reasoning for not coming to officers initially with the information about Hayes' murder. He said that because he was dealing marijuana, he didn't want to become involved with the police. After Jay began cooperating with police, the prosecution appointed him as his his own attorney, which is reportedly very odd. He told detectives that he was also very concerned that Anand would hurt his girlfriend, Stephanie. But just two days after Hayes' murder, Jay went to a party together with Anand and Stephanie. And afterwards, Anand dropped Jay off, and then he dropped Stephanie off. And that seemed strange. That Jay would willingly leave Stephanie alone in the car with Anon if he was so scared of her him hurting her. Right. I I think I think when Jay came in to talk to the police, they said, We know you have information. And if you don't give us what we want, then we're gonna charge you with this cascade of other things that we know about or something. Yeah. I, I think that. I know that some people think that Jay had something to do with it, and I don't know, maybe he did. Um, but I kind of feel more along the lines of he was just trying to tell them what they wanted to hear so he would get out of his own trouble. Yeah, definitely. And it happens. Mr. S, who is Alonzo Sellers, the man who found Hay's body, had a criminal history. He had multiple charges of indecent exposure and a trespassing charge. Many of are suspicious of how he happened upon Hay's body and believed he might have more information or involvement with the murder. Then we got weird police stuff. Um, as mentioned early, Hayes' computer was seized by police. However, about a week after it was seized, the detective with the computer science unit said that he was told to cease his investigation relating to the computer because the case was now a homicide with Baltimore City, no longer a missing persons case with Baltimore County. Any files from Hayes' computer, as well as the computer itself, were lost and never brought into evidence." Just great. Okay. This was the heyday of AOL Instant Messenger. You know, I mean, I don't know this to be a fact, but you know, hey, was on AIM. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure who she was, was. She talking to. That's such important information. Absolutely. That's such important information. And especially the fact that, like, she can't just talk on the phone to, you know, her boyfriend or, you know, because. Her parents have rules and things like that. So she might have been using email and instant messenger to have conversations with people that she didn't think her parents would approve of or whatever. Like, yeah, it's important. If somebody and text if somebody, messaging was not what it was or not it what was it in is its today, infancy, yeah. Because
0: I just it feel was like so it's
1: expensive. Any, yeah. If anybody was on their computer at all, really, and then they go missing and or are murdered, then you got to look there at the very least. Don't stop the investigation and sure as you don't lose it. No. So we also have the phone call and it's, um, Jay said that on the night that Hay was murdered, after the murder, he and Anon went to his friend Christy's house and Christy called, recalled Anon, um, receiving a phone call on his cell phone. And so after the call, Christy said that Anon was asking Jay, quote, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? They're going to come talk to me. And she said that Jay and Anon left shortly after. And it's implied that Anon had answered a call from police and was freaking out. And there may have been inconsistencies found in Christie's timeline, though, which may indicate that she was m- remembering another date. Yeah, I mean, they they relied pretty heavily on that. Because it sounds like the police call Anon and say, have you seen Hey, we're looking for her. He gets off the phone. He's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Um, they know, they know. What am I going to say? They're going to come talk to me, you know, like all this stuff. It very well could have been another date. She's not sure what day it was. And Don's not sure what day it was because he was higher than a fucking kite. Yeah. And also, when you're high, everything... It, like, you think everybody's going to know. You think you're going to get in trouble for everything. You're, like, very paranoid when you're high. Like, yeah. pretty common side effect from smoking weed. Yeah. It's like when you're high and you find out something like that, that you got a call from a police officer that's not what you were expecting when you answered the phone. And you're like... They can smell it he through knows, the phone. He knows. Yeah. He knows, he knows. Yeah. One time when I was high, I thought my dog knew I was high and I was real worried about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he did know I was high. but uh, what, He 100% like, knew that. Yeah. What but he, he didn't judge do? you. Yeah. He didn't judge me. And I thought he was going to judge me. Well, one time when I was really high, I decided that I needed to go to Taco Bell, right? Had to go to Taco Bell as one does because of course you do. But I thought, because I really wanted to eat it right then. Couldn't wait till I got home. I was like, if I eat this right here, they're going to know. So I drove to the McDonald's parking lot and <laughs> ate it there. Because that's not the same. I was all high and stuff. <laughs> I don't I don't know what I was thinking. But in my high. mind, just stabbed myself right in the face. In my mind, I was like, boom, totally got myself out of that jam. Just go right the F over there. Yeah, the Taco Bell people aren't going to know that I'm high because I'm going to eat it at McDonald's. I'll show them. (laughs) It's just so stupid. (sighs) Okay. Anyway, we also have the car. So long after Adnan's conviction, private investigators dug up the location where Adnan's vehicle had, or dug into the location where Hay's vehicle had been found. Engaging from the limited photos that were taken by police, many noticed that the grass underneath her car looked pretty fresh. For a vehicle that, according to Jay, had been parked there for at least six weeks, it was odd to see live grass underneath it in February. There was also grass along the tires or on the tires and the wheel wells that looked fresh, and the private investigator spoke to a neighbor who lived in the row of houses for 45 years. She said that she doesn't recall the grass lot ever being receded, and she also said that it's unlikely that a car could have been parked there and abandoned there or abandoned there for over six weeks, and she or her neighbor would have noticed if it had been there for that long. Mm-hmm. She said that they would have called the police or have somebody come check it out and tow it if they needed to. Yeah, which they did on a regular basis. If people, it like, not on a regular basis, but they had done before. If somebody had just parked their car and left it there, they would call and have it towed because it's not supposed to be parked there. Right. And that's their area. Like, Yeah. They don't want just random cars sitting there forever. Exactly. So they would have made the phone call. Like she, this woman was like, I absolutely would have noticed that. Like, I mean, it would be the same thing as like a strange car parked in front of, you know, your house for six weeks. Like,
0: yeah, we would have like, seen that. Not my
1: car. What's going mm-hmm. on there? Why is it still yeah. there? Every time you leave your house to look out the window, it's like, it's still, but it's still there. It's still there. Yep. Then we have the breakup note that Hay wrote to Anon, and it was found by investigators. On the back of it, Anon and Aisha had been passing notes back and forth on it during class. And at the top of the note, on the back, Anon wrote, quote, I'm going to kill. Aisha said that this was not on the note when she and Anon were passing it back and forth. Anon's car was towed and was tested for the presence of any soul that would link him to Lincoln Park. None was found. After going through Anon's belongings, nothing was found that matched the fibers on Hay's body. There, were, there was no forensic testing performed on Hay's car trunk to determine if her body had ever been in there. Hair, blood, and fingerprints were taken from both Jay and Anon. There were obviously signs that Anon had been in her car, but Jay had none. Jay told police that Hay's windshield wiper handle had been broken while Anon was strangling her, and the handle was hanging down. But after further analysis of the handle, um, it revealed that there was no splintering, which indicated that it wasn't broken, but more likely it had been disconnected, um, such as like if the steering wheel column might have been moved or tampered with possibly from somebody trying to hotwire it or something like that. I don't know. There was a fingerprint found on the rear view mirror of Hay's car, but it did not match a non J or Hay, and it was never matched to anyone else. I mean, that seems like such an important fingerprint. Somebody taking that rear view mirror and adjusting it because whoever drove that car is not the same size as Hay. So they are mo- safety first. They're moving that rearview mirror. Right. To see behind them. And Jay says that he and Nanat are the ones that moved the car. And he was in the car. He was in the car. Multiple times. But there's no trace of Jay being in the car. Do we believe that Jay is a criminal mastermind and is going to wipe everything down? He doesn't say anything about wearing gloves. Well, did he wear a hair He doesn't say anything a about net? wiping it down. <laughs> I didn't find any hair, any anything in that car? Yeah. Yeah, you mean to tell me that these two kids who were higher than a fucking kite remembered to wipe everything down, remembered to—they shaved their whole body or wore an entire, like, basically condom over their entire body so that they don't—they leave no hair, no skin, no nothing. And they're getting in and out of that car over and over and over and over, moving her body, which is very difficult to do. Right. So Debbie, a friend of both Hay and Anon's, told police in her first interview that she had seen Anon at 2.45 p.m. on the day of Hay's murder. She was specific in that it was inside the guidance area and described as gin bag. In the first trial, she testified to this. But by the time she testified in the second trial, she said that she didn't remember Asia's letters um, to Anon, but also, you know, so... We said earlier that she had written a letter to Adnan in prison telling him that she recalled seeing him in the library on the 13th. His attorney, Gutierrez, told him that she checked with Asia and that the dates were wrong, though she actually never contacted Asia. When the serial podcast was produced, Asia told the host that she'd assumed that the state had plenty of evidence against against Adnan and that her information was relevant. Following Adnan's conviction, Asia wrote an affidavit stating that she had seen Adnan in the library from 220 to 2.40 p.m. on the 13th. During one of Anand's appeals, the state's prosecutor, Yurik, said that Asia told him she'd only written the affidavit because of pressure from the side family. In a new affidavit, Asia disputed his claim. She said that what she had written was the truth. And she also said that Yurik told her that Anand did indeed get a fair trial and that the evidence against him was solid. Lying hurts baby Jesus. I just want to say that right now. It hurts his heart. It does. It does. I mean, this whole thing was a shit show. Like we haven't even, go- we haven't even gone into like Christina Gutierrez and all the stuff. Like, you know, she was just not a good attorney toward the end. She's no longer with us. Um, but she, there were a lot of issues with her you know, taking people's money and then not using it for the, quote, experts that they were supposed to hire and, like, that kind of stuff. Um, she clearly never contacted people that she said she contacted, which could have helped his defense. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's so much about this case. So much. Terrell, tell um, us about what has happened now. Yes, yeah, so... In September of this year, 2022, as we record, Judge Melissa M. Finn of the Baltimore City uh, Circuit Court vacated Adnan's sentence after him having served 23 years. She said that this was, quote, in the interest of justice and fairness, because she believed that the prosecution had failed to turn over evidence that could have changed the outcome of Adnan's trial, as well as the discovery of new evidence. With 30 days for prosecutors to decide if they were going to retry Adnan, on October 11th, prosecutors dropped all charges against him. They also indicated that there are two possible other suspects that have not been charged in relation with this case. (sighs) Why they jumped all over Adnan really pushed it forward. They moved pretty quickly between the investigation and the trial. They did not hesitate with a non, and now they're like, we really can't charge. We're not going to say who they are, like any of that kind of stuff. If they had any solid evidence against him, they would have recharged him. I, so 100%. this says there's nothing, nothing that warrants a conviction. Mm-hmm. Nothing, and I'm sure. I don't know. Maybe that's not fair to say because people can surprise you, but it would not surprise me if there wasn't like a, um, hey, non, sorry, sorry about that one. They're not going to say that they, that they did anything wrong, that they had any fault in this. I remember when, I remember October 11th, I remember that it was a big day because I kept seeing like all of my social media is flooded with, it's, they decided not to try him again. They're not going to try him again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I was honestly surprised because I just could have seen them being like, "We want to save face. We're going to go to trial again." And and the fact that they did not says that there is no way they could have they could get a conviction with what they have, which means they have nothing. And this case has been so so very affected by who is in office at what time. If you listen to interviews with Rabia over the years. You know, they will contact, um, I mean, she's been working on this for 23 years. She's been working on this mm-hmm. hard. And there would be times where it seemed like, I mean, and they do it in the, um, they talk about this in the HBO series, the case against Adnan Syed. Like, it looks like things might happen and then somebody gets voted in as district attorney or the, you know, incumbent is stays in or whatever, and so all all hopes are gone, you know, you've got to have a new district attorney. Otherwise, this one is holding on to, well, this happened under my watch or I am holding up the previous administration's decisions or whatever. And I'm just I'm not going to retry this case and I'm, I'm not going to allow evidence to be tested, evidence that was never tested. Why does the prosecutor get to make that decision? Mm hmm. Because it's in the prosecutor's interest to not test the DNA if they've already gotten a conviction. What do they need to test it for? Absolutely in case they got it wrong, like no, they're not going to do that. Mm-mm. so these are these are reasons that just like you know, before we got into this one thing that I didn't realize was like just how important it is to i mean, I, I know people put a lot of weight in voting for presidencies, and they should. But we don't put as much weight into doing our local voting, which is just very, very important because it's things like this. It's a lot of times people who become DA just end up not having anybody run against them. Or if they do, it's like, I mean, what I used to do when I would vote is be like, well, I've heard this name more times. So I'll just push that one because I don't know anything about either one of them. Right. Like, I'm not proud to say that, but that's what I, I had used to do when I was younger. Because I just didn't pay attention, so I was just like, I don't know. I guess I'm supposed to vote, like whatever, you know. Like these are things we need to know because it literally can be the difference. It it's like I heard in an interview that Rabia did. She said, "What I have learned is that the system is made up of people, and sometimes you can get the whole system will change when one person changes because this person has been sitting at that desk for 20 years and they don't want to." be told that they're wrong. They don't want to admit that they did something wrong. They don't want their office to look bad. They don't want to have an L where they should have had a W. Right. Or where they already had a W. Why would I take my win away when I I can control winning is worth anybody looking at the case again? Yeah, exactly. And prosecutors are are graded, promoted all of those things on their wins. Not whether or not justice is actually served. Right. Not whether or not cases are actually solved. It's whether or not they're won. hmm Whether or not the case has been closed, no matter if they got the right guy or not. Yep. doesn't matter. So, I don't know. These are just like, it, it's, I'm very, very happy for Adnan that they're not going to charge him again. But it because, pisses you off because... But it, yes, but it pisses you off because you're like, but you never had anything to begin with. How do we get here? Mm-hmm. How did you let How it get so we far? How did get here? And not only did it cost a ton of money for all the in quote-unquote investigating, but also the trial itself, all of the experts, all of this, all of that, but he, this man lost 23 years. And like we've said in other cases, now we've got multiple victims. And I'm not saying that... What he went through is, they're not the same types of victims, but now we have somebody else who has been done wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, and let's, you know, take that a step further. The investigators have done nothing but fuck Heyman Lee's family in this situation. Mm-hmm. Because for 23 years, her family believed that they had the right person in jail. And, and as far as I know, they still do believe that Anand did it. And why shouldn't they? That's what the police told them, and they are trusting the police. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't blame her family for believing what the police told them. Right. But it is just such an egregious violation of somebody's trust and re-victimizes them all over again. Yeah. I mean, I cannot imagine what Haman Lee's family went through on October 11th. Mm-mm. You know, it, it's like a happy day for a lot of people and it is so traumatizing to them. And they should not have had to go through that. And it it might be really hard if we never knew who who killed Hay, but it's different. Cause we have we've listened to interviews of family members who have said, you know, the person that I believe that did this was in jail. And I felt, you know, at least.
0: Like a okay, well, sense of security and sense, kind of. Yeah. yeah.
1: And now they're out. What does that do to a person? Right. It's just awful. Um uh let's see. So they indicated that there were two possible other suspects. Um, they've not been charged. A document was found in their trial file that said one of these, quote, persons of interest had threatened hay in front of a witness, and another document that had information that, quote, can be viewed as motive for that suspect to harm the victim. One of the two suspects has been convicted of attacking a woman in a car, as well as convicted of serial rape and sexual assault. It's not clear if this is the same person. They also found that Hayes' car had been found directly behind the home of one of these suspects' family members. In addition to these findings, several items that were not initially tested for DNA have been sent out to have testing done. Regardless of whether Adnan is guilty of the murder of Hayman Lee, it seems pretty obvious that his counsel was ineffective. He was not proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, And like we said, you know, unfortunately, and we say this about every case that is a wrongful conviction, the, the publicity ends up being focused on the person who's Wrongfully convicted, wrongfully accused. And they need that attention so that they can get out of jail. But the victim, the murder victim, gets kind of lost in translation because we have to, we have to get this person out of jail who we don't believe, you know, did this thing. But justice for Heyman Lee's family is doing your job. Mm-hmm. Testing the evidence, following the evidence, following up on leads that you're receiving and not just looking at one kid. And we we haven't even, we didn't even get to touch on, I mean, there's just so much in this case. The fact that Anand was Muslim Mm -hmm. and this is around 9-11, right? You know, I mean, there was a lot of just racism involved Mm -hmm. in this case too. So there are so many different factors and whatever whatever the exact reason in that the police honed in on him, they never looked at anybody else. They certainly didn't prove him guilty. And the fact that they're not recharging him says that they never had anything. 100%. Absolutely. We, of course, would love to hear what you guys think, always and forever. Um, mm-hmm. I think that we can all agree based on what we know now that Anand did not get a fair trial, not one little bit. Um, but of course, if you have any info, any thoughts, any anything to share, you we, we implore you to share it. I mean, you can do it on our Instagram, which is KQ True Crime, um, on our Facebook groups. But we just want to thank you guys so much for listening and watching and we love you and we hope to catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.